My name is Christopher Anderson. This is my wife, Danielle. We've been married for 17 years and have three amazing daughters, eight, five, and two. I think one of the biggest ways that I feel Danielle's love and respect is how she talks about me. And I know that whenever Danielle is talking about me to other people, it's with love and respect. And in fact, it happened just this last week. Uh, one of her friends was just offhandedly saying, hey, Danielle was talking about you with a group of women and she was just going on about how great you were. And just that, that um, solidity of knowing where I stand with my wife and we've just kind of made it part of our love towards each other is we're not going to, you're not going to hear us bad mouthing each other to other people. I sleep well at night knowing that when I'm a topic of conversation, it's, it's in a good light and vice versa. Uh, the way I talk about her to other people, um, you're going to walk away thinking she's the amazing person that she is. Thanks. But of course this had to be learned. Um, I, I am a hundred percent extrovert and love to make somebody laugh. And so early on in marriage, you know, we've had 17 years to mess up and, and do it better. Um, and so many more to come, but I had to learn early on that if it, if it's a laugh at his expense, then that's not communicating my heart, my feelings, and um, our personalities are very different. And learning how to love and respect where we're, like where he's coming from or where I'm coming from. And we even have this, if we're going into, you know, hanging out with friends or something, I'll say, hey, that one thing that was so funny that happened this week that just made me laugh and laugh, is that okay? Is that like topic that we can bring up with our friends can I make fun of you tonight is basically how that goes and we just know that's such love of like sometimes we have tender places and a, a tender heart for for things of like no but you're making fun of me like I can handle so and so but not you one of the lessons we've learned over the years is how much our words matter to the other person I can think back on a, a number of situations where I was struggling with something really hard maybe at work or relationally with another person or just in my head or struggling with whatever and Danielle has had a word of encouragement that that gave me the confidence or just like cut off cut me off from a path of making bad choices or or uh, blowing something up that didn't need to blow up because she had a timely word or encouragement or reminder of who I am yeah they um, kind of said in our premarital counseling the one of the great things about our relationship was that Christopher really thought he was marrying up and I really thought I was marrying up and we really genuinely are on the same team and wanting what's best for the other person like I want Christopher to thrive and to um, fully succeed at all of life and it's the the reversal of that I think is it's a big deal Give those guys a hand. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us wherever you are. Uh, before this is our last week in the Five Word Series, I want to start by thanking everybody involved, or at least as many as I can mention right now. But uh, our design team uh, is like it's our youth ministry in many respects. Uh, uh, care, uh, I'm sorry, Kevin and uh, Sarah do a lot of our design and like things of good taste. So they did these and the bumpers bumper stickers, uh, mug stickers. Uh, Angela works in our production department. We had to read, 
run off these notebooks, two sets, because they were apparently very popular. And then, you know, uh, Chris Lindenberger and uh, David, they have been working to do this, this study questions and the small groups together. And it's like, these days, everybody's kind of working with everyone. And I just wanted to thank the staff for doing such a great job in our five-week series. So thank you. Here's a great question. How bad is your marriage? Is it like, is it, like, is it this bad? December 23rd, 1990 something. I can't remember. It's before COVID. But here's, here's the story. So uh, I was meeting with a couple, only met with them twice. They were classic opposites attract. And by that, I mean, he was no shorter than 6'6 and no lighter than 290. She in heels was maybe five feet and not heavy enough to even donate blood. And so they come in and they're, they're like, they're having some serious problems. And uh, they were short meetings because he, at least he was honest. You know, he just said, I don't want to change. Everything's just fine the way it is. And I'm only here because she's worn me down. And I said, okay, great. Uh, there's nothing anybody can do about this. Then she comes in and says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's like, just, I just want three things to be different. I said, no, nothing's going, nothing can be done. No one can do anything here until you're both willing to change. So there's that. Came back, I don't know, two months later, it was, I don't know, Groundhog Day, but it was a lot shorter. Comes in, sits down, do you want to change? Nope. I said, there's nothing anybody can do. But if, you, if you're willing to change, sky's the limit. A couple months after that, something happened where he ended up putting her in the hospital. And so she filed for divorce. And for some reason, she wanted to deliver those papers. And so she, we talked about how to do that. So here it is, December 23rd, 1990, whatever. Okay, I'm doing some early Christmas shopping. I'm in Academy when she calls. And so... She, I said, okay, so she said, I'm doing it now. I'm right. I'm, 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 I said, so he's not home, right? She goes, he's not home. And, and you're not driving. Someone else is driving. Right. I said, so look, you keep this phone on and you talk me through the whole plan that we talked about. Do not hang up the phone and do not stop talking. She says, okay. So she goes, okay, we're, we're driving down the block. Okay. I'm pulling up out, out front. Okay. I'm opening the door. I'm leaving the car door open. I'm going into the house. I'm leaving the front door open. I said, just put the papers on the table and go. So she says, I'm putting the paper on the table. And then like, boom. No, I'm just kidding. That not, I'm just, it's not the movies. Okay. It's not, she, ran out of the, she ran out of the house, jumped in the car, kind of drove away. She cried. Driver cried. I cried. We prayed. Now at this time, I'm just sitting in an aisle somewhere in Academy. It was so tense. And I just, I just said, I'm so sorry. And she said, and I still love him. And I said, I know you do. That's a, that's a bad marriage. And four years later, I was at a, some kind of social gathering, and there they were again together, completely different. He was a gentle, happy giant now, and she had a twinkle in her eye that I'd never seen, and I'd known her for a while. And he said this, he said, those divorce papers just rattled me. I realized I was going to lose the only good thing that's ever happened to me. And so we went to counseling, and we've been in counseling ever since. And <laughs> so I said to him, I said, divorce papers, like the ultimate Christmas gift. He was, I, should, I shouldn't have said that. You know, like, that's the ultimate Christmas gift. Uh, but 
But I was looking at her and she, I said, you're, you're, there's more to this story, right? I can, I can tell you, you're like chomping at the bit. She goes, yeah, we moved. We started going to this other church and then, and then we've started a marriage ministry. <laughs> we are the marriage advisors at our church. And I said, sky's the limit. She says, heaven's the limit. That's what happens when two people work the plan. A number of years ago, Grace Covenant Church realized that the, the, the felt need, the crying felt need and real need for our culture was deep, intimate relationships, deeply connected to other human souls. It is the nature of the way we were made in friendships, in marriage, in family. And we started, we realized that we've got, that's what people are longing for. And the gospel, if the gospel is not affecting your relationship, you either one, do not know the gospel or two, you are not doing the gospel. You're not practicing it. And so around here at Grace, we started using phrases, bringing relationship into it because that's, that's how it, that's how it works. So we said relational evangelism relational discipleship. We have relational missions. We have relational missions, relational apologetics, every, like all things relational because that's the, that's the cry. And this is the answer to that cry, relational depth. And that's how we ended up with the five word series in many respects, because we find out in the five words that through singleness and through marriage, it is a, one of the primary means of discipleship, of becoming like Christ in all of life. So here are the five words. Why don't we say them out, out loud together? Ready? Let's go. Break, bond, one, love, respect. It's a great day. Super great day to, uh, as, as a, today we look at all five words together in a, in a passage and we're gonna show how contextually they fit together and how they work together in harmony. Okay, it's chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 18 and go to the end of the chapter, verse 33. Okay, but I want you to see how they're all connected. Chapter 5, verse 18 of the book of Ephesians. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God. Uh, the, the Father, in the name of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it starts with being filled with the Holy Spirit and then submitting to one another. And now he's going to talk about marriage. Let's start with wives and then go to husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and all this to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. There's the blueprint. This is the architectural plan for marriage. And in the next three sentences, he's going to summarize all of that using all five words and making it all work. Watch this. 31 through 33. 
For this reason, a man shall break with his father and his mother, bond to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And I'm saying this as it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Break, bond, one, love, respect. There it is. It's a blueprint for marriage. We've been saying this all along. It's not a road, it's a destination. This is how it's supposed to work. God designed marriage with a purpose. There's a plan. We just need to follow the plan. That's how, I mean, that's, that's, he designed it for a purpose. If you look at this passage, you'll see that there's three major sections. Like there's, there's a foundation section, there's the wall section, there's the ceiling or roof section. It's three major parts on, on this section here. And I want you to see the first part is, the foundation part is be drunk on the Holy Spirit. Second part is going to be in that submit to every one another. And the third part is going to be like, just play your role. Like everybody has a part, just play your part. Just, just do the plan, you know? And then, heaven's the limit. Heaven's the limit. Let's talk, let's talk about that first one. Let's get drunk on the Holy Spirit, okay? So last week, if you were here, I mentioned that you must be yielded to or you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I said that at the end of the sermon. You can listen to that. The Lord's will be done. I said that because that, it's true. But the reason I said it also was grammatically it's, this sentence is one thought, and it all starts in sentence number 18 and then continues through. He says, in verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then suddenly, next thing you know, he's talking about wives should submit to their husbands, and then husbands, and then later on, even children. And so, like, why isn't there a transition? Why isn't there, like, a, a stop and then say, okay, I'm moving on to something else? Because he's not moving on to something else. He's not changing the subject. It's a one thought, be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another, and on and on and on. He says, do not, and so it's funny, he says, do not get drunk with wine. Now, because that's debauchery, right? That's, that's, and it's not, he's not saying that so you won't get drunk with wine. He's going to say that in other places. No, no, no. The point of him saying that is he's, he's doing good communications. He's going to help you understand something you don't know with something that you do know. What do you know? You got a drunk uncle, right? Everybody's got one of those, right? And so you know what drunk with wine looks like. And so later on, we don't know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's hard for us to visualize that. He says, okay, let's, let's do this. Okay, what happens when you get drunk with wine? Well, you turn your will over to the wine. And next thing you know, you're doing stuff you wouldn't be doing otherwise. Hey, let's go to a karaoke bar. I feel like I should sing right now. Here, hold my wine. You're going to love this. I'm going to sound great. And Paul says, okay, you got that? Great. Okay, it's like that, but nothing like that. You surrender your will to the Holy Spirit. Not be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit because when you do, you're going to do stuff that you would normally wouldn't do. You're going to, there you go, you're, you're off singing again. It says singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. When you're like drunk with the spirit and surrendered to his will, you're going to give out unconditional love. You're going to like your pride dies. You overflow with grace. That's not like you. I know, I know, I'm kind of acting out a little bit here. That's what he's saying to do. 
So that's part one. And then he just rolls into part two. Okay, while you're drunk with the Holy Spirit, then he says in verse 21, so submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Everyone submitting to one another. And the rest of the section is like different people in the way they express that. Submit's a big word for Paul. Uses it 23 times in his writing. Actually, it's a very big thing in the Bible. And usually it's for two reasons. One, because that's how harmony takes place. But also there's positional submission. So sometimes he'll appeal to a position. But submission is a very important part of the Bible. It, it, from beginning to end, where the rebellion, the original rebellion was lack of submission. Augustine described sin in a single word, independence. Yeah, I don't submit to anyone. There you go, Adam. And then the Bible ends with submission. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. In the context of of positional submission, the Bible clearly says that we are to submit to civil authorities, church authorities, parental authorities, our bosses, and then in this place, he brings it into the marriage itself. He says, it, it, in this passage, it says there are roles in marriage. There's a husband's role and there's a wife role. And, and I know a lot of you are going like, but aren't there exceptions? Well, yeah, there, in certain circumstances, but the exception actually proves the rule. What about the abuse of power? Yeah, but the abuse of power doesn't negate the principle, doesn't undo the plan. It means the guy who built it did it wrong, but the plan is still there. So while you're living in this context of surrender to the Holy Spirit, while everybody's trying to out-submit to one another, the role of the wife is clearly declared in these two verses where it says, wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That's the architectural design. That's the way the plan works. You got to follow the plan. It's, it's, the wife's job is to acknowledge that there's a need for love and respect towards the husband as he is the head. That, and it's not because the husband earns that respect and submission. It sure helps, guys. <laughs> It really helps if you're respectable. But the point is, it's the architect's plan regardless. If you look at the section, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it, it has two main parts about how this architectural plan finds itself out. It shows declaratively that there are gender differences, and God takes those gender differences seriously. And then the second part is, is that there's tremendous freedom in the context of the overarching principle. In other words, this is a brilliant statement of how to do marriage because you have this one simple basic principle and then you have like tremendous flexibility with almost infinite expressions of the principle. Let me explain the two principles. Okay, the first one is headship. The husband is the head of the marriage. He says, husband is the head of the marriage. He just says that. And what that means is, I mean, fundamentally it means he has the final say. He's the one that leads. Paul is saying here, and it's throughout the Bible, there are gender differences. When we grasp those gender differences and we enjoy the role we're supposed to play, we enjoy life. In the, in the end, the husband is is the leader. If there's disagreements and there's conflict, it's like 
he gets the final say. Yeah, uh, an example would be uh, if you're dancing, someone has to lead. And God says, according to the design, the man should lead. And you can respond like, but he can't dance without hurting me. It's like, yep, but he still leads. But I'm smarter and better. That's true, too. I think everybody agrees with that. That's good. He didn't even want to dance. Okay, just stand there. Let him lead. Let him lead. It'll get weird for him, and then maybe he'll start leading. <laughs> Based on a true story. Okay. <laughs> so, and right now, some of you are going, yeah, but what about, what about, yeah, what about this? What about that? And so, you know, Paul, like, he's getting ahead of that. Like, what about the abuses? And so Paul says, look, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. He died for her and gave himself up for her. So the, while the wife is submitting, the husband is making his decisions and his choices n- not on his own selfish ambitions or his own desires. He's making decisions the way Christ made decisions for his church. He's always he's looking out for like her desires, her needs. I got to figure out how I can help her become everything she was meant to be. A husband doesn't make choices independent. It's the collective us, you know, dream of us. We are us. Not, there's not a him and her, it's both. And so in this respectful debate of going back and forth where the husband has ultimate last say, there's this, again, this, this let's pretend we had dance classes together and the man leads. And it doesn't, so it just shows itself in respectable, like the video, respectable discourse. Here's a classic example around our house, maybe, okay? I said, hey, I'm thinking about buying another handgun. And Melinda said, uh, really? So don't you already have six or something? And I said, no, because first of all, a shotgun doesn't count as a handgun. And I have four. No, I have five. Okay, I have five. And she said, I, it just looks to me like you want to buy another something something that you're not going to use. <laughs> and I said, well... I'm trying to protect our house. And I think five handguns is plenty if we lived in a small enough like apartment. But we live in a house that has 2,020 square feet and I've got to keep it safe and we have some vulnerable places and I'm just like, you know, just trying to help. And she says to me, I know that you're gonna be there to protect us for that big home invasion that's coming I just can't remember at ever happening in our neighborhood, ever, or even our zip code, maybe even our area code. But you know what? Here's what she does. She says, let's just think about it for a while, and then why don't you pray about it, and then I'll pray about it, and we'll see what happens. I'm like, oh, no. Like she's brought in God on her side. So... That's like, that's a respectful discourse after 35 years, you know, the early years there was fireworks and now she just like, she just like, she's playing a Siamese cat, you know, just like let him just, he'll figure it out. Headship means this, the man has final say and the woman has, and the man is looking out for her best interest and the family best interest, but at the end of the day, he has final, he has, he has the final call. And, and just, just. Uh, I guess contextually in, in our marriage, I've, I've probably only like, you have to trust me on this three times I can think of. One was Melinda was in a relationship with a woman that I just felt was not good. And I didn't even like, 
put my foot down. I just said, I think you should seriously consider not being involved with this person. She's not good for you, and you're not making any difference in her life. Please consider it again. Like I, we talked about it multiple times. And then the other two times were pulling the trigger on buying a house. We bought two houses, and she was like, yeah. And I was like, 30 years mortgage, let's go. Uh, and she just had to trust me on both of those. So the point is, we don't do this often where I just say, I'm going to be the final decision maker. We just go back and forth. But at the end of the day, oh, yeah, and I, I'll answer to God for my decision. And she'll answer to God for her submission to that. The passage is, is brilliant, I'm telling you. It, it's, it's just this principle of gender differences and the roles they play. This is the blueprint. Follow the blueprint. But... The second part of the, in, uh, of, of the joy of this is there's very little of any details. The principle, it's principles without details. There's almost no cultural details. Like wives let the husbands lead. And a lot of times like, well, when my parents had this thing set up, here's how they did it. I thought our first word was break, right? What difference does that make? I mean, I remember, I remember the day I pulled into Melinda's driveway when we were dating and her mother was mowing the lawn, and she still does. And I thought, I'm gonna marry any woman that lives in that house. <clears throat> and when we bought our house, I bought Melinda the new uh, lawnmower. I said, here's your lawnmower. They're like, this is how y'all do it, right? <laughs> She's like, no, we broke from that. <laughs> why no details? Because there's two reasons why there's no details. There's, there's reasons why it doesn't say, this person does the checkbook, this person goes to work, this person takes care of the kids, this person drives, all that kind of stuff. Why not? One, because God leaves us with tremendous freedom so that we can show off using our creativity and freedom to honor God. He does that a lot. This is inside of baseball a little bit, but in the context of church government, uh, he has these principles and, and just, just do the principles. So Presbyterians have an interpretation of that. Baptists have another extreme interpretation of that. There's only two kind of rules. Stay within the boundaries of the blueprint. And then two, don't get all self-righteous about your view and be condescending to brothers and sisters because they don't hold it. There's freedom here. Same with marriage, right? Stay within the boundaries of the confines of the principle, but don't like go judging other people. The second part is, the second reason why there's no details is because this is going to apply in over millennial, right? Places and times and cultures, and like you can't, you can't give too many details on that. So the, the, the variables are open. Don't reject the gender differences and the roles they play. This is the blueprint. Now, go out and use your freedom to figure out how it's going to work in this marriage. It's like, okay, let's go back to that whole housing thing. There's a, there's a style of home building that's not uh, like a track home or a custom home. There's this like semi-custom home where the builder just says, look, we're going to build this, okay? It's going to be a one-story house and it's going to be 2,500 square feet and this is what you want to do. All the rest is up to you. And then you like death by a million choices on picking carpet and whether you're going to have an overhang or three-car garage, whoever it might be, but you get to customize the part that they are not going to mess with. That's what, that's what this is. It's a semi-custom home. Here are the parameters. Now go show off. Give God something in your marriage to hang on his refrigerator. You know, like this is what they did with that. 
They stayed inside of the principle, and they expressed it in a way that very few people have. <laughs> um, here's what's weird. Some of you are thinking, but my husband or my wife is not a believer. Or all it's like, you know what? It works because it's part of the plan. It's part of this architectural plan. You don't even have to have the plan. I know people that accidentally stumbled into it, usually, you know, by making mistakes. What if we laid the plumbing before we poured the slab? Wow, right? And so you can see people getting the plan right, backing into it because it works. There's a best-selling book called The Surrendered Wife. Here's what it says. Over-controlling wives in the world unite. This is from the author. Behind the white flag, lay down your arms, curb your tongue, squelch your sarcasm, and give your husband plenty of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Laura Doyle was married to a husband, and she is controlling. Four years in, they're in marriage counseling, multiple years of marriage counseling, and then finally the marriage counselor just like, Laura, let him lead just for a month, just for one month, let the guy take the helm. And she's like, no, I mean, you don't know controlling like Laura. She had to wear a blindfold when he drove during this month. Yeah. And now she's got this huge like study group all around the country, you know, not because it was for the Lord, not because it was reverence to Christ, but because it, she accidentally got the blueprint. Laura Schlesinger used to be a popular radio uh, call-in personality, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, and she wrote a book I love, it's fun to give out, The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. I know, I, I know, it, we're, actually we're that simple. Um, here's what she writes in the foreword. Your attitude makes all the difference in the quality of life. Your understanding of men and what they truly need will make all the difference in the quality of your marriage. The truth is that women have all the power in the world to determine the behavior of their, of, their, of their men. And then she says, let him lead. Not because it's as a, unto the Lord, not in because it's reverence to Christ, because that's the way we're designed. That's the principle of the roles. Gabby Reese is a very talented, ambitious, and competitive woman. At Florida State University, where she, you know, ruled the volleyball court and still has two records of her conquests, had the most kills. That's a word, kills. That's how dominating she is. And now she's a sports announcer and fashion model and a designer and an actress. 1997, she married the man of her dream, Laird Hamilton, famous big wave surfer. Okay? And he is talented, ambitious, and very competitive. Yeah, you see it coming. Four years in, they file for divorce. There's just too many, like, right? They're still married, and then she writes a book on how to survive life. The book is called, My Foot is Too Big for the Glass, for the glass Slipper, A Guide to the Less Than Perfect Life. And in it, there's 225 pages of, like, just things that work. Diet, exercise, parenting. This is what it says on the jacket. Reese writes that the true, to truly be feminine means being soft. The woman who leads and kills. Just to be soft, receptive, and look out, here it comes, submissive. She believes women being submissive in a relationship is a sign of strength, not weakness. In an interview with a morning show, 
uh, just in the last few years, she said, I always want to say that I'm kinder to Laird than any other person in the world. I really want to love and respect, those are our words, I really want to love and respect my husband so that I can show him by admiring him, appreciating him, and even desiring him on a regular basis. Not because it's unto the Lord, not because it's in reverence to Christ, but because she stumbled upon these two very competitive, strong-willed people say, someone's got to lead. And she said, how about you, Laird? And it's working. And that's why, listen, that's why you'll see a non-Christian marriage so much better off because both people are humble and trying to serve each other than these two Christians over here. It only takes one that's proud and stubborn and I will not change. And it doesn't work. Why? Because it's going against the plans. You can't break the plans. Let me, uh, I, I thought in a way of like getting the big picture, I thought, I'm gonna just going to read you these paragraphs. It's all one thought. It'll start in verse 18, but it's a modern translation, okay? And listen to how it flows and how, how the harmony works out. If you just kind of go with it, right? Look, listen again for the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen how there's mutual submission to one another. And then there's these gender roles that come up, okay? Here it is. Let me read it to you in a way that's easier to understand. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens life. Drink the spirit of God and chug him down. (laughs) Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from the heart of Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse to sing a song to God the Father in the name of our master Jesus Christ. Now, out of respect for Christ, you should be courteously uh, reverent, that's submit, to one another. Wives, Understand and support your husbands in a way that shows that you, the way you support Christ. Husbands provide leadership uh, to his wife in the way that Christ does the church, not domineering, but by cherishing. So, just as the church submits to Christ and as he exercises his leadership, wives should likely submit to their husbands. Now, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did the church. Love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the very best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant in holiness. And that is how a husband ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're really one in this marriage. Here's how he's finishing it up here. He says, a man leaves his father and a mother and he joins with his wife, so the two, they become one flesh. He says, this is a huge mystery, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way that Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how a husband is to treat a wife, loving himself in loving her, and how a wife is to respect her husband. Wow, Right? That's the architectural plan. That's the design for marriage. That's the way we were made. That's our way back into the Garden of Eden. So I hope just in an overall application, if you're single, I would say this. Like, I hope you kind of see, you've got to get ahead of this. There's so, there's so many times we hear, wait a minute, people don't know. Like, no one told me the purpose of marriage was finding someone that, like, we're going to help each other become like Christ in all of life. I didn't know this was all about trying to make me, you know, mature and 
perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. That was just going to be kind of fun. And so if you're, in, if you're in a relationship with someone right now, we have a pre-engagement ministry that there's none better, frankly. And if you're engaged, there's a pre-marriage, uh, pre-engagement pre-marriage counseling that's none better. You should seriously do that. Get, understand what you're getting into. I'd say this too, G- generally speaking, works for everybody, but you should get drunk on the Holy Spirit. You should be absolutely, completely surrendered to the will of the Spirit and his power in your life. And then only date, only associate with other men or women that are wholly surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Because this marriage is hard enough. And it truly works when two people enter into a relationship with those parameters and prerequisites. Married people, let's take a test. We've been at this for six or seven weeks now. Let's take a test. How are you doing on the five words? Okay. One to five. One, not so good. Five, rock star. Break. Break. Say goodbye. Parents' job is to say goodbye. And some of you parents, how you doing? (laughs) Say goodbye. (laughs) And then the child's job is to walk away. How are you walking away? From one to five. Bond. That means unzipping your soul to your mate and saying, there's stuff inside of me that I think God is going to use you to fix this and surrender this to the Lord. How are you doing on your willingness to do that? One. One flesh. How are you doing with that? The bigger point of that was that you need to see it as a spiritual, a sacred spiritual event that you are praying to experience the soul and spirit meshing that is supernatural. Keep praying, keep trying. Love, husbands, it's covenant love. It is agape, sacrificial love, and it has power. It has power. Your wife should be almost unrecognizable to someone that hasn't seen her in 10 years. Someone meets your wife, hasn't seen her in 10 years, they they should like, what has happened to you? Well, the power of covenant, unconditional love has altered me. I married a godly man. How are you doing, guys, with that? One to five. And then respect. Gratefully, gratefully letting him lead. Maybe learning love and respect, it's like learning each other's love languages. It's a book we recommend in our study guide. Learn what the other language is and try to speak that and learn how to do that fluently. It's not easy, but I don't know what else you're doing for the rest of your life. This has been an adventure for us for 36 or so years. If you need special help, uh, I would suggest there's, like, there's two tables in our lobby. One's called Celebrate Recovery. It's for people with hurts, ha- habits, and hangups that they, just, they need some critical care for or just some maintenance work. And then there's Re-Engage, an amazing ministry here at Grace Covenant Church. If there was a 12-step program for marriage, it would be Re-Engage. And there's a couple there that would love to talk you through and how you could get involved with Re-Engage. If I didn't go to this church, I would go to this church because we are, we, like we grasp the crying need of the culture and the people involved in it, that we need to learn how, learn how 
to be relationally connected to other human beings, and we can only do that with vulnerability and safety with the, when, when, when we become like Christ in all of life and as we become like Christ in all of life. And so that's how we're applying the gospel most, most uh, formidably. Here's a wonderful quote from Tremper Longman. He wrote, Every marriage is meant to represent God, his perfect relationship with him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as well as his relationship with his people. We can reveal God by the way we love our, our spouses. We can reveal God by the way we love our spouses. That's, that's the power of covenant love. You walk down an aisle, you say some words, and people's lives are spiritually altered in a covenant ritual event. Sky's the limit, not heaven's the limit. Let's start something new, maybe even as a church. With this covenant renewal service, let's be a church that unconditionally loves, is always looking for ways to submit to one another, caring for one another, and enjoying the covenant we have with our King, Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your submission to the Father's will, that you would come and humble yourself to be a man, a man who washes the enemy's feet, a man who chooses to climb upon a cross, a man who <laughs> turns away mockers and fulfills the promise of the Father. We're grateful for your surrender. We're grateful, Lord, that you sent the Spirit, that now we have the power of God himself in our spirits if we merely yield to that. Thy will be done. Let, let us be like, let's turn, let, I want to turn my will over to your will that I might be doing things I wouldn't normally do. Unconditional love, unrelenting forgiveness, overflowing joy, service to other people. I'd ask that you would help us act out that way. And in that, we would glorify the Father. We're grateful for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we use this time to recommit to what you have never uncommitted to. <laughs> and we surrender our lives once more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.